Hello, Hill City. My name's Matt, and uh, I'm part of the team here. I am super honored to get up here and introduce our guest speaker today. Um, today we are joined by Adam Martino. He is a pastor uh, here in Richmond at United Church. Um, he's one of the overseers of this church. That's right. It's not total anarchy around here. There is oversight. Um, and Adam is one of my absolute favorite people. I first met him when we were both not yet in the ministry. We were still in the, the private sector, as they say. And uh, we were at like a, one of those like networking breakfasts. And I will be darned if my man did not sneak his testimony in to like a, a speech that, or like a talk that he was giving at this networking breakfast. It was amazing. Um, so he's one of my favorite people. And I want you guys to give uh, my boy Adam Martino a warm welcome. Adam. Thank you, John. What's up, Hill City? It's good to be here this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I love the church. Come on, somebody. We are for the capital C church. We're not against each other. We're not trying to out-preach each other, out-fight each other. We're here to support each other because our mission is clear. The local church is the hope of the world. Come on, somebody. Let me tell you something about myself, too. I'm an Italian Puerto Rican from Brooklyn. So I get a little bit crazy, and the louder you are, the faster I'll be. So if you want me to preach really, really short, let me hear it. Talk back, say amen, in fuego, whatever you think of, just, just let it fly. Um, I love John and Lacey, uh, Joe and Laura Miller, some of our oldest, oldest friends. We moved from New York City to Richmond about 17 years ago now, which is unbelievable and uh, just started forming relationships with John and Lacey. And Joe and Laura didn't have any family here. They loved us like family and they cared for us. And it was so good. Um, you guys have something special going on here and you need to not take it for granted or not think that it's normal or common. What God is doing at Hill City is awesome, yeah. is awesome. The two of you that agree with me, I appreciate that. <laughs> Very very much. Can you do me a favor, just a big, big favor? In 1 Timothy 5, 17, it actually says that the person that's in charge of teaching you the Bible, the, the person that's responsible for leading uh, an above reproach life and teaching you the gospel is worth double the honor. Can we honor John and Lacey this morning? Can we? Come on. So good. So good. He's watching right now. No, he's not. I'm just kidding. If he was watching, it'd be weird because he's preaching himself. Right now, I believe that God wants to meet you today, not at the level of my preparation, but at the level of your expectation. I've come prepared. I'm going to give you a good word, but none of that matters. Listen to what the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We know, Lord God, at the end of the day, no great song, no great message, nothing can bring true transformation. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by your spirit. So I ask, Lord God, for the next few minutes, Help me to be a good steward of this moment. Speak, Lord God, to our hearts. 
speak to our minds, Lord God. Many of us are here this morning in transition. Many of us are here this morning needing something, Lord God. We don't want to leave the same way we came in. So meet us. Change us. Do what only you could do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, Laura, so much. I want to share with you a message that I've had on my heart for a little bit of time. I I really do love the church. And uh, if I could title this message anything, I'm going to use the the amazing words of the uh, theologian LL Cool J. (laughs) And we're going to call this one, Don't Call It a Comeback. Come on, somebody. I want to take a look at a really important person in the Bible just for the next couple of minutes. And uh, it's a very, very critical person in the Bible. He was, he, he was a, an amazing example to our lives. His name was Peter, and he was a follower of Jesus. He was the captain of Jesus' team, if you will. He was tough. He was full of zeal. He was a fisherman. His whole family were fishermen. That means he had a dirty mouth. Come on, somebody. Not only did he have a dirty mouth, but he stunk constantly like fish. And, and Peter, I want you to know, and, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I want you to put this in your heart. Peter is every single one of us. Now, you might be like, hey, Pastor Adam, I, I, I'm not a fisherman. I don't know what you're saying. Peter's story is just like our story. And in the book of Matthew, there's an incident where Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and he asks them a question. He gets them all together, and he asks them a question that you probably should not ask most people because you might not like what you get back. Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, hey, guys, what's the word on the street about me? What, What are people out there saying about me. You guys know me personally. We, we've been walking together. We've been in ministry together. We've been fellowshipping together. What is everybody else saying about me? And a couple of the disciples, they look at Jesus and they're like, well, Jesus, somebody says that, that you're a reincarnated prophet. Like you came back to life, like you're, you're, you're fulfilling this Old Testament thing that somebody prophesied and then somebody else says, well, you know, they, they think that uh, you, you're, you're like John the Baptist, you know, you're, you're like a reincarnated John the Baptist. Jesus is like, guys, you you don't get what I'm saying. Like, we're close. We're supposed to be tight. Like, we spend, we do life together. We hang out. Like, you guys know me. Like, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes this awesome revelation in Matthew 16, verse 17. Peter looks at Jesus and he says, I'll tell you who I think you are. He says, I I think that you are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Specifically, Peter said, I'll tell you who I think you are. I think you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad that our God is alive? We're not worshiping some some statue that's dead, somebody that's powerless, somebody that was once here but is no longer here. Other religions, they worship a God that's that's somewhere, some, some kind of way, some kind of thing. We worship a living God who shows up on the scene in power every time thank you (laughs) 
Peter makes this awesome revelation and, and, and Jesus gets so hyped up. Jesus gets excited. It's not often that you see Jesus getting excited, but Jesus gets so excited. He does something amazing. In Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this. This statement that you made that, that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, or I'm the Messiah, the son of the living God, that statement that you made blessed you, Simon, son of Jonah, because of that statement was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but it was revealed to you by something deep inside of you. Peter had a revelation in that moment, and Jesus changes his name. He takes this guy's name, Simon Bar Jonah. Bar-Jonah actually means from a drunk family. Come on, somebody. From a drunk family. Simon means sand, soft or weak like sand. And this revelation that Peter has, Jesus gets fired up and he's like, because this has really been revealed to you. It's not just a here thing, but now it's a here thing. I want you to know that the church has transformative power. The church can take a soft drunkard and make him a strong rock. And this is what Jesus says to Peter, because of this revelation, because it was re not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven, I'll tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my gathering, my congregation, my assembly, my movement, my church, and the gates of death, or maybe in your translation says the gates of hell will not overcome it. See, when you get around Jesus, when you get around Jesus and his church, he has the power to change you. He has the power to really, really change you. And most of us are saying, I, I need change. I, I need something new. I need something different. We came through 2020 and 2021 hanging on by threads, and we're all saying we need more. Well, there's, there's more to this life. And Jesus is saying, because of the revelation that happened in your heart, you're going to become strong. You're going to become powerful. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. This is what Jesus was saying. He's saying, I, 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 I'm gonna start this movement, this, this thing around your faith, Peter. Your faith will be bigger than your failures. Come on, somebody. Which meant no many how, how, no many how people died. It doesn't matter who dies or, or when they die. This thing is gonna go on forever and ever and ever because the church was birthed as a movement of people around a simple message and a simple idea. It was not just about buildings. It was not about anything that would quickly you know, turn out over the next couple hundred years. It was... A simple idea. Not too long after this uh, conversation with Peter, Jesus is crucified and he rose from the dead and spent about 40 days with his followers, which is kind of where we are right now, which is pretty cool in the calendar. After about 40 days, he gathered his disciples again on a hillside to have a different kind of conversation. He's giving them final instructions. In Matthew, we call it the Great Commission, but in the book of Acts, there's a version of where Jesus gives the final instructions, and he predicts, this is what's so cool, he predicts the beginning of the church. Jesus gathers them on a hillside, and this is what he tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus was saying. You're gonna be the church. You're starting this movement in your city, in Richmond, VA, in Jerusalem. And then I want, you to, I want you to go out, I want you to stretch out to Judea and Samaria, my country, my nation, and to the ends of the earth, the whole world. You see, the church has the transformative power. It can take the weak and make them strong. This is what I'm saying, a good doctor will keep you out of the hospital. A good lawyer will keep you out of jail, but a good church, come on somebody, will keep you out of hell. That's some good news. Y'all gotta, gotta stretch a little bit maybe. Do some, do, do some stuff, stretch out a little bit. This is good, good news. You get into church, you get around Jesus and the shifting sand becomes rock solid when we get in church. If we continue, the church becomes an element of change in our lives and in our families. It took Simon from Peter. Simon means weak like sand, but Peter means strong like a rock. And despite being overzealous and impulsive, Peter had a big heart. And I think it was his heart that was so attractive to Jesus. It's why Jesus pulled him into his inner circle with, with James and John. Peter shared an intimacy with Jesus that the other disciples, they didn't experience. I wrote down a couple of ideas that I'd like to share with you today, a couple of ideas from the life of Peter. You ready? Two of you are ready? Can I get six? Can I get 15? Come on, somebody, let's go. Here's the first thing that I wrote down. Humility is a natural response to Jesus. Humility is a natural response to Jesus. Luke gives us an in-depth glimpse into Peter's calling. Jesus shows up on the shore of Galilee and he climbs into a boat and he asks to be rowed out so he could teach a crowd. It just so happens that that boat belonged to Peter. After teaching for a while, Jesus told Peter to take them into deep water and drop their nets. Peter starts laughing hysterically because he'd been working all night and they hadn't caught a thing. They've been toiling, they've been laboring, they've been getting after it and they haven't caught a thing. Maybe you've been worshiping, maybe you've been coming to church, maybe you've been reading your Bible but you feel like you haven't caught a thing. I want to let you know this morning, if you're not dead, God's not done. Amen. There's work to be done, but it, it starts with obedience to Jesus. The Bible says that he actually prefers obedience over sacrifice. You got to believe, you got to obey, you got to respond. Peter didn't say, who is this guy? I'm, I'm a mess. He's a tough fisherman. He's crazy. He cut a guy's ear. I mean, he's, he gets fired up. He gets fired up more than I do. And this stranger just gets into his boat? Oh, oh no, he didn't get in my boat and tell me to shove off out into the sea. I don't even know this guy. Humility is a natural response to Jesus. When we engage with the cross, there has to be something inside of us that responds to the living God. When we get near Jesus, there has to be something inside of us that changes. 
There needs to be a change. We can't walk with Jesus and stay the same that we were before. It's impossible. It's not how Jesus works. It's not how this Christian life should operate. And then on top of it, if it it wasn't enough that Jesus bossed Peter around, he's like, hey, do me a favor. I'm going to tell you how to do your job better than you know how to do your job. Like, who, who are you talking to? Who is this guy talking to? Who does he think he is? He's laughing at Jesus. But I don't read anywhere in the Bible where he disobeyed Jesus. He just simply responds to Jesus. How? By doing what Jesus asks him to do. And listen what happens in Luke 5, verses 6 and 8. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help. And they came and filled both boats so that both boats began to sink. When Simon saw this, he immediately fell to his knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Humility is a natural response to Jesus. We can't know what Peter was talking about or what he was thinking about when he called himself a sinful man. All we know that is that exposure to Jesus' power caused him to respond with an immediate feeling of fear and unworthiness. I, I, I can't, wait, who is this guy? I can't believe that this just happened. I'm unworthy. I'm, I'm not worth it. You don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know the things that I've done to other people. You don't know the situations that I've put myself in. You don't know the relationships that I've allowed to go on in my life. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. I love Jesus' response. Don't be afraid. I think that's what Jesus is saying to all of us today. We gotta make some decisions. We gotta gotta decide what we're gonna do. We gotta decide today for who we're gonna be tomorrow or else tomorrow's gonna decide for us. But humility is this natural response to Jesus' power, this this, this feeling, this, this sense, knowing that I'm not God and he is. Come on, somebody, isn't that good news? I'm not God, he's God. So why do I worry? If Jesus isn't worried, why do I worry? If Jesus is unbothered, why am I so bothered? Come on, somebody. Stop playing like you're not bothered. You were bothered on the way here when that person cut you off. You're like me. You want to roll up to that person real slow so you can make eye contact. My wife says, why do you always have to look at them? I just want to see who cut me off. I want to see who did it. Jesus says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Luke 5, verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. He knew that this was the start of real life change in Peter's life. He knew this was the beginning of their relationship together. Jesus is telling us today, don't be afraid. Don't worry about what other people think or what other people say or what other people do. Just worry about me and you walking this walk together. I promise if you commit, I promise, Peter, if you decide, when you decide, you'll become strong. When you decide, you'll see miracles. When you decide, you'll have some power, church, when we decide. Humility in Jesus says, I know I'm not worthy, but the one who lives in me is. So that qualifies me 
to do whatever Jesus asks me to do. Well, I'm not, I'm not trained. I, I, I don't know the Bible that well. I'm not, I'm not this or I'm not that. Jesus isn't waiting for you to get it all together to show up. Jesus wants you to show up so he can help you get it all together. Humility is a natural response to Jesus. Here's the second thought I wrote down. Jesus' greatest desire, his greatest desire is not to give you a terrible life, a boring life. You mean I can't go to the club anymore? I, I, what, what do you mean? I, I gotta, as a Christian, I got to do what? I, that's, that's what we think about when we should be really thinking about what Jesus' desire for our lives is. And, and here it is right here, Jesus' greatest Desire above anything and everything else is to see you and I redeemed, restored, and renewed. He wants to take all those pieces and make them better. He wants to fix all those things that you've been through, those experiences, those circumstances, those situations. He wants to pull you in close so you can be a testimony to somebody else. It's Jesus' greatest Desire, and we see it here in Peter's life. Peter starts to fall off the tracks. Come on, somebody. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, right? We're all perfect in here. I, I don't struggle. I, don't, I ain't got no struggle. Hashtag struggle bus. <laughs> Peter's story is the greatest comeback story of all time. Here's the definition of comeback. Renewed after being close to defeat or failure. I wrote down a couple of truths, just two truths about Peter's and our comeback. Number one is you're never too far. Isn't that good news? Come on, somebody. You're never too far. And number two, it's never too late. It's never too late. You can never go too far, and it's never too late. Jesus prophesied during the Last Supper, Peter, you're going to betray me. Peter, the very thing that you say you'll never do, you're going to do. I think that might be Jesus speaking to some of us. Hey, I, I, I just want to be real with you, church. I just want to be real with you, Hill City. I just want to be real with you, fam. Like, we're going to make mistakes. None of us are perfect. We're, we're all going to slip up. We're all going to trip up. But there's more time on the clock. Amen, somebody? Luke 22, verse 54 and 62. Peter's like, no way. This is not going to happen. This is not, this is not going to happen, Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm stronger than you're giving me credit for. I'm stronger than, than you think. I'm stronger than I think. Luke 22, then seizing him, they laid him away, they, they laid him away and took him into the house of the high priest, Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with Jesus. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. I was studying for this message and I tried that on my wife. It didn't work out so good. Don't say woman anything. <laughs> just don't, just don't. 
But there's something really significant here that I want you to notice. I don't know the status of your walk with Jesus today. You know the status of your walk with Jesus. You know if you're living right or if you're not living right. Well, how do I know? You know. You know. Peter's committed to Jesus, but somehow Peter finds himself following at a distance. Peter's committed to Jesus. Jesus, I'm not going to lie. Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. Jesus, I'm not going to do this. And then somehow he finds himself following at a distance. Are you following Jesus from a distance today? Are you keeping enough room to feel comfortable? I want to follow Jesus, but I also need a little bit of space. It's the place of grace, my personal space. You could rhyme it however you want to rhyme it. Are we following Jesus at a distance? Because this is what happens. It's the recipe for disaster. Once you start making separation, once you start designating different things, when you start deciding to compartmentalize certain things, uh, well, Jesus, you could be here, but you can't be here. Jesus, I'm going I'm to let you hang out here and, and roam in this space, but not in this space. Jesus, I want you to touch me and bless me in this area, but this area is mine. What happens? We get shook by a little girl sitting around a fire. He's with Jesus. I'm I'm not. I'm not. I I don't know what you're talking about. When we start following Jesus from a distance, it's easy to fold like a piece of paper. When we start following Jesus from a distance, it's easy to forget what Jesus looks like. It's easy to forget what Jesus has done for us. A little bit later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him and he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about just as he was speaking the rooster crowed and I don't know how I never read this passage of scripture and understood it like I understand it now listen what it says happens next just as he was speaking the rooster crowed verse 61 the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. How didn't I ever see that before? Are you telling me that Peter was following from a distance, but Jesus never took his eyes off Peter? Peter was following from a distance, but Jesus was close enough to make eye contact. I want to tell somebody this morning, maybe you feel distant from Jesus, but Jesus is close to you. Maybe you have a broken heart. The Bible tells me that he's closer to the brokenhearted. You're thinking there's no way Jesus could use me. There's no way Jesus can see me. And Jesus is staring you this morning right in the face. And he's saying, I'm not even responding to your mistake. 
I'm responding to you in love. I don't care about what you did, Peter, because I knew it was going to happen. See, I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I've been in your past. I know everything you've done. I'm with you right now. I'm, I'm omnipotent. I'm omnipresent. Guess what? I know what you're going to do tomorrow, and I want you to know something. I love you. It's my Jesus. It's your Jesus. Maybe... You're just like Peter. You feel like you've let God down. Maybe you're just like Peter. You didn't keep your word. Maybe you're just like Peter when you should have been the closest to Jesus. You decided to keep your distance. I want to let you know something this morning. You haven't let God down because you were never holding him up. You can't let God down because he's God and you're not. You haven't let God down. As long as you're not dead, God's not done. There's more time on the clock. Imagine the excitement of Jesus' resurrection, how it, was, how it was tempered by Peter. Peter couldn't get pumped. He couldn't get excited. Are you guys saying that Jesus is back? Jesus is back. Imagine what Peter's feeling. No, I, I can't let him see me. I can't let him see me like that. I denied him and he looked me in the face. It was the last time we saw each other. He went to the cross, they beat him, they crucified him. How am I supposed to get excited that he's back? He's just gonna come looking for me and he's gonna hate me and he's gonna yell at me and he's gonna, he's gonna kick me out of heaven. Uh, uh, everything that I was working for is now off the table so Peter makes a decision. He felt like Jesus would never trust him again. So Peter makes a decision to go back to his old life. I wonder how many of us can relate. Man, there was a season where I was just so on fire for Jesus. There was a season where I was committed to Hill City. There was a season where I was serving and, and I was just giving it my all. There was a season that I was leading a group. There was a season that I was connected. Man, I, I could feel Jesus and I know Jesus had me. But you messed up or something happened or somebody died or somebody left or you went through something that caused distance and you gave up a little bit in your heart. You've decided to go back. Or maybe you're making a decision right now. I can't keep doing this. I can't. I can't keep going back and forth. I can't keep going back and forth. Maybe it's just easier to go back to my old life. Maybe it's just easier to be the person that I used to be. I want to let you know this morning, you can't run with Jesus and go back to your old life. You'll be frustrated. You'll be left unsatisfied. Maybe that's why you are unsatisfied right now, because you had this encounter with grace. You had this encounter with Jesus. Everything in your life started to change, and you've gone back to your old life, and now you just don't feel satisfied. It's impossible to be satisfied by anything this world has to offer after you come into proximity with Jesus. You'll be left unsatisfied. You'll be unhappy. You'll be miserable. You'll be hungry. 
You'll be left desiring, wanting more. Listen to this story in John 21, verses 15 and 17, when Jesus comes back for the greatest comeback story of all time. Peter's out in the boat fishing. Peter's doing what he used to do. As a matter of fact, he got as many of his friends around him. Guys, come on, let's, let's just go back to the way things used to be. Let's just go back to our old life. And they're left unhappy. They're left unsatisfied. They're left hungry because they ain't catching no fish. Come on, somebody. They ain't catching nothing. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? This time, Jesus does it a little different. Jesus is on the beach making mahi-mahi tacos. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I want to let you know that Jesus is waiting for you. I want to let you know that Jesus has a meal prepared for you. And he's cooked it just the way you like it. Come on, somebody. He put that aioli sauce on there and everything. <laughs> when they had finished eating, Jesus looks at Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So Jesus feeds them. He gives them some nourishment. He wants to get them strong. He wants to get their minds right. He's not saying, I hate you. He's not saying, oh, you screwed up. He's not saying, oh, you jerk. He's not saying any of that. He's caring for them. He's feeding them. He's loving on them. And then he asks Peter a significant question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. The nerve of Peter. Right? That gets one of these. <laughs> the nerve of Peter. The nerve of us. Jesus, why are you making me work for this thing? Jesus, why? why? It's not supposed to feel this hard. It's not supposed to be this tough, Jesus. Jesus, I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little angry with you, Jesus. He was just handing off some fish tacos and now because I, I, I don't, it's not going the way I want it to or it doesn't look like I want it to look or it doesn't feel like I want it to feel, I'm getting mad at Jesus, the nerve of me. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? But Jesus had a plan. Jesus had a strategy. Three, it's the magic number Three. Why three? Notice that Jesus asked Peter if he loved him once for every time that Peter denied him. Peter, didn't, but Peter needed to be reminded by Jesus that your failure didn't disqualify you. Peter, I want you to know something. For every time you screw up, my grace is more than enough. Peter, for every time you drop the ball, my grace is sufficient because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I want you to be weak. And guess what? I want you to be happy about being weak because you'll have to rely on me. 
Jesus is secretly restoring Peter in this moment for every time Peter denied him three times, Peter denied him three times, Jesus wanted to remind him, not only do I love you, Peter, but I'm still, I still have a plan for your life. The clock's not done ticking. I still have aspirations for you. There's still a church that has your name on it. There's still things that I want you to do that nobody else could do. It's what Jesus is saying to every one of us today. Man, this guy could yell. Sorry. When Peter responds that he does love the Lord, Jesus' encouragement is simple. Take care of people. You want to show me that you really love me? Take care of people. You really want to show me that you love me? Love people. And not the, just the people that vote like you. Not just the people that look like you. Not just the people that smell like you. I want you to love people. Jesus' response is still for the church. Jesus' response is still for unity. Jesus' response is repairing Peter. How are we going to respond to Jesus today? Jesus is continually at work in our lives, redeeming and restoring. Finally, 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 I'm done. I'm going to get out of here. Here's the third thing that I wrote down. Boldness is a sign that you're close to Jesus. Boldness is a sign that you're close to Jesus. Jesus goes to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me. And Peter gets back on his feet, pulls himself up by his bootstraps, says, okay, I'm going to give this my best shot. For the rest of my life, as long as I live, I'm going to give this my best shot. I'm going to make every moment count. I'm going to make every day count. And Peter and John, they, they're out in the streets testifying. They're out in the streets praying for people, praying for the lost and the broken and the hurting, doing all the things that we should still be doing. Come on, somebody. And they get locked up. They get sent into prison. And instead of freaking out, instead of going into a deep, dark depression and anxiety, instead of, instead of just getting under the covers for 15 days, they start to worship in the middle of a jail cell. Boldness is a sign that you're close to Jesus. See, what I'm telling you is you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be anxious. Jesus actually says this. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. The word cast in that text literally means to hurl at the cross. The next day after they're locked up in jail, the elders and teachers of the law meet in Jerusalem and they begin to question the disciples. Acts 4 verse 12, you can read it. Peter immediately speaks up and preaches to them about Jesus. He ain't skirt. Did I say that right? He's not scared. 
He's not worried what they're going to think. As a matter of fact, he could care less. Isn't that freeing to care less about what people think, to care less about how other people see us, to care less about this world and more about heaven? Peter looks at the, the teachers of the law in the face and he says, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given by mankind by which man can be saved. The only way to heaven is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only way to heaven is to get close to the cross. This is what Luke tells us in verse 13. When the leaders saw the courage of Peter and John facing death, the courage of Peter and John in prison, the courage of Peter and John where most people will feel alone and abandoned and destitute. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were just like Adam Martino. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were just like my friends at Hill City. Unschooled, well, I, I went to school. Ordinary. But they were astonished and they took note that these people had been with Jesus. There wasn't anything particularly special about Peter and John. They didn't have fancy religious educations. They didn't come from well-known families. What they did have was proximity to Jesus and that made them fearless and bold. If you get anything out of this message today, I don't know what the quality of your life is like, but you do. There's a power waiting for you to tap into. There's a power and a boldness. There's a fearlessness that's waiting for you, that's searching you out, that's staring you down in the face today. I want to let somebody know this morning that Jesus isn't your last hope. Jesus is our only hope. I know it's tradition that you normally take a minute and reflect on the word. I'd love to have you reflect around this thought. What? The quality of your life, your proximity to Jesus. Right now in this moment, that could all change. Jesus is here. He's in this room. He's with us. He's for us. He's looking you in the face. I'd encourage you, make some kind of decision this morning.
Lord, we love you. Some of us are making decisions this morning to get close again. Some of us are deciding right now in this moment what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Father God, I pray that you would release fresh grace in this place. That your Holy Spirit, Lord God, would empower us to live a godly life. That your Holy Spirit would empower us to be reminded in those moments of weakness, in those moments of sorrow, in those moments of anxiety, in those moments of doubt, that Jesus is here. And if Jesus is for us, who could be against us? If I have Jesus, I have all that I need. We love you, Lord. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.